Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. You can get a 50% discount when you join the community and you'll get access to all our premium articles and locked archive. You will also be supporting independent, responsible media at a crucial time when our democracy is in peril. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of the Banter Roundtable podcast. Joined here with my my good friends and and co-workers, uh, Bob and Justin. Good morning, guys. Hey, How are you? Ben. Good morning. Doing great. So we have quite the show for you today. We are going to be talking about um, Queen Elizabeth II, who passed away this this week. Uh, we have the explosive news on tr- what was found at Mar-a-Lago, uh, nuclear secrets. So we're going, mm. we're certainly going to be discussing mm. this. This is about as big as news as you could possibly get. Uh, the hilarious optics of Steve Bannon being handcuffed and, and uh, <laughs> led in company, which, which absolutely made my week. Uh, we're going to be talking midterms. Justin's piece in, in particular wrote a fantastic piece this week for bands of members on what is happening to the GOP. Just in time for the midterms, not good. We have our both sides segment and in the members only section, we're going to be having a discussion on what the future of the GOP might look like. This is completely, obviously we have no idea, but we're going to um, give some ideas on what we, th- where we think the party could go. Is it going to turn into a, uh, a, a fascist, uh, a fascist party? Will it moderate? Will it go back to being neocon? Um kind of a party of um, war hawks and where does it go we don't know we're gonna we're gonna talk about that so anyhow uh we will begin with the death of queen elizabeth ii i was surprisingly affected by it uh, i think um it's very strange like the whole of britain has basically shut down uh, because of this uh very well loved Despite being, I have like very complex kind of thoughts on the Queen, on the royal family, and you know their role in society, uh, what they, you know, what they're ahead of. I, you know, this was the figurehead of the British Empire, like the royal family. I don't really agree with, you know, much of what the British Empire did. Uh, yet the Queen kind of came to, to she, she kind of came to the throne in 1953, when the British Empire was essentially being dismantled. So. Um, and the the royal family was a, a completely apolitical institution, and she's had nothing to do with you know politics for seventy years. Um, so she's lived, you know, it's been a very kind of ceremonial role that she's played. And my personal feelings is that she's done a pretty good job um, of of kind of staying out of politics, doing kind of good works, and generally being quite dignified about being put into this completely insane family um so i've got kind of i've got kind of yeah i've got a lot of time for i had a lot of time for her so i was i was quite saddened to hear you know to obviously her passing it's a passing of an era um i guess what is the perception and 
what is the perception of the queen in England in terms of her, like, what is the, and I'm not saying this to be a dick or anything like that. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. as you observe the queen or imagine the queen and, and the Royals and everything like that, is it more about the stability of continuity or is it something that, uh, British citizens regard as, uh, you know, some sort of leadership post or how, how, what is the perception of the Royal family, uh, as of right now? Like, how do you view that entire thing, that aspect of, uh, uh, British government? Well, it, yes. It's, it, it's sort of seen as a kind of a symbol of continuity of stability. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that this is just the way things are done in, in, in Britain and have been done, you know, for forever, you know, yeah. having a royal family, having a figurehead, uh, you, you, you know, it, it's part of all, all of our institutions. It's part of, you know, the national anthem, um, the queen, obviously the, the role of the royal family has changed dramatically over the past, you know, few hundred, couple of hundred years, whether it's now become it, completely apolitical, almost, almost completely apolitical. It has, but they, you know, you have to be kind of, if you want to run a, the prime minister, right. Has to go to the, you know, has to go to the queen, right. The queen is still, there, there are a lot of kind of ceremonial aspects to our political system that include the queen. Um, but so, they're you know, strictly ceremonial. Yeah. yeah. It's ceremonial. You know, when you form a government, you know, the queen, the, you basically have to go to the queen and, and like, you know, she'll kind of, she'll kind of, okay your form your forming of a new government she doesn't have a say over it at all there's no you know she can't right this is like my I'm not do that. she can't actually say no yeah 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 no yeah yeah she can't say that she has no there's no constitutional power she has no there's no nothing um so it, they're broadly seen as it's kind of you know symbolism of 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 britain uh yeah connection of, to the past britain. i think there's a value yeah. in that uh, you know, that's yeah, something that I, I, we sometimes lack here in this country. We don't have necessarily this ongoing uh, uh, entity that uh, sort of spans that much time. Certainly not the amount of time that uh, Queen Elizabeth was uh, in that post. What, since 1952, hmm. she was there? 50, it's a, a 70 yeah, years. It's a long time. Yeah, it, right. Exactly. You know, and she hasn't had much you know she hasn't made any political statements she hasn't really said anything that was untoward she hasn't um you know very few controversies that she's been you know in, involved in she's always just i i feel you know my my dad has met her for example my dad has done is is heavily involved in um non-profit work in the uk so he he got to meet her about i think it was about 10 years ago or so and wow. um just said so she was very a very lovely lady a very quite funny um, very dignified, very sort of, you know, she just, she had her role to play in, in, in a very strange institution and she did it and she did it gracefully and she did it without complaining. And, you know, there's been a huge amount of change obviously in British society, you know, over the past 70 years. And, and she's, she has been this sort of symbol of continuity and stability. And I think you know, after, after World War Two, that, you know, World War Two, the, the Royal family stayed in London. So there was a whole thing about, um, uh, you, know, you know, when the Germans were bombing London, and the royal family re did refuse to leave London at, at at the time because they wanted to stay with the people. And I think the perception of the royal family was, after that event 
what was kind of quite was changed quite dramatically um and that you know that they became kind of part of british society but like okay they actually do you know they they genuinely do care about britain as a country and and, and the people and they're willing to kind of stick it out with us as we're being bombed to pieces by you know um mm-hmm. uh, by german 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 bomb planes so I think the perception of the of, of the royal family changed quite then, and obviously the empire was then being kind of dismantled, and, and and Elizabeth has sort of presided over that. Obviously, she had there was nothing there was nothing she could do about the empire. So people kind of say, you know, she was the head of the British Empire. It's like, well, she didn't actually do anything. She didn't run anything. She didn't make any decisions. She inherited she inherited this, uh, and was basically told what to do. Um, in regards to you know going on visits to the Commonwealth, which is basically the Empire, um, so I don't know the hate, the hatred and vitriol directed at her. I find to be bizarre. What is um, where is that coming from? Uh, where is that stemming from? Uh, a, a political uh, place of, of, of opposing uh, imperialism or uh, colonialism? What is the why are people bitching yeah. about the Queen? It well, just I've doesn't seem like there's enough substance there. To, that. Yeah, that's what I've seen a lot of from the left. Yes, yes, yeah. And I, so it's you, about it's about colonialism, is it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Even though and, she, and, even and, though she presided over reducing the British Empire rather than expanding yeah. it. Exactly, and she would have <laughs> okay. had absolutely nothing. Nothing. nothing I didn't think that was it, a bit right? odd. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought that was a little sense. odd. I kept seeing. That. I was like, wait, didn't the British Empire shrink under her rule? Why are you yeah, yelling it, at her about yeah. that? I, I guess it's the old thing. If you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I don't know. Right. <laughs> like, right. All right. Well, this is our, this is the, the thing that is latched to my branding as far as politics goes. So I'm going to shove everything that's even tangentially related to it through that uh, mm. eye of the needle. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And I think this is one of the problems on, on, on the left. I, I think that, you know, everything is, is about, when you talk about the British Empire, like the British Empire is an extremely complicated, you know, um, phenomenon in history, right? And and obviously not, I would say, you know, much of it terrible, appalling, um, but not uncommon for the time. You know, the British Empire, obviously empires all over the world. Uh, British were quite successful building building their empire and there were you know positives to the british empire and there were you know many negatives as well and but regardless of what you think about that the queen to sort of i don't know blame the queen for it is bizarre given the fact that she would act, give when she came into power and the role of the royal family in, in britain she would she just would have had nothing to do with it at all so it, it does seem quite strange that <laughs> yeah. um you know and also you know she 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 was an old lady. She died, and she was, by all accounts, anybody who ever met her would say that she was great. And she did huge amounts of work for for charity, huge. Um, and I think this is sort of forgotten. Uh, and, and the royal family is, you know, I do I think that they should have all of you know they basically own all the land in Britain, right? Is basically, you know, the the, queen, the the royal family owns all of it, right? But that doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't. It doesn't actually mean that they own it. If, if you see what I mean, yeah. it means that yeah, yeah. Um, 
so you, you can't you have to like lease when you buy a house you can't you don't actually own the property in in britain um you're kind of basically leasing it from from the royal family but it but it's sort of semantics really it doesn't actually mean that you don't own the land you do but <laughs> it, it, do, do, do you know what i mean it, it, it's kind of a um it's it's very strange like obviously living outside of britain now and seeing british society from the outside you kind of think oh that's kind of weird but you grow up there and you just think oh that's just that's just the way it is that's just the way that, that it's always been um so anyway yeah i i don't know i'm, I'm there, there was a good thing so i there was a um a guy um this guy edward loose who who's the associate editor at the financial times and he wrote something um that i thought was summed up my feelings quite well on on the on the royal family uh, so i was going to read this this from him so he he writes that nothing leaves me quite so ambivalent as the british monarchy it sits atop a class system that stubbornly refuses to go away the randomness of birth entitles some often very mediocre people to a life of country houses at public expense and the pageantry usually leaves me cold, though I can appreciate it pulls in the tourist revenues. Yet, I have always admired Elizabeth, though never envied her. Going through your entire life without being able to offer an opinion, being watched constantly for the slightest indication of bias or, or error or weakness, getting up every day to perform solemn duties mostly scripted by others in the knowledge that you can never retire, is not an existence to which any sane person would aspire. So at 96, Elizabeth faces a working life that will not end until she dies. I would rather live an anonymous life on median income than inhabit her claustrophobic gilded cage. I could not begin to imagine the discipline and willpower that enables her to do all of this without offending anyone. The Queen's exemplary performance is why I remain a reluctant monarchist. Yeah, it's a great example of the price of power. Yes. You get all that. You you have that post that name that uh that title that uh, you know runs back uh, I, I couldn't even tell you but uh, how, how many years has uh the the monarchy been a thing uh you know and, and so that's a that's a long damn time and a lot of sacrifice for uh, that post I, I just i wouldn't i wouldn't want it in a million years no i wouldn't want to be president of the united states because no. of a similar thing and that's yeah. only for 48 years. Yeah, that le- exactly. But that level of scrutiny, that level of uh, sort of uh, shrink-wrapped existence is, uh, it's got to be uh, not easy if you're, no. uh, yeah, if you're not prepared for it. And she, and she was a young woman when that happened. And so uh, she had 70 years still to go and locked into that, <laughs> locked into that uh, fishbowl for that long. It had to have been uh, not easy. Right. And I just think she handled it with a lot of grace and a lot of dignity. And, yeah. you know, you couldn't really fault her for, you know, what her ancestors did. You know, she was born into this, born into this, this crazy system and, and did the, made the best of it. So that, that's pretty much my, my sort of take, get, take on it as the, as the Brit on the podcast. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm no Royal, I, you know, I'm no Royalist. I don't know any, you know, I'm not a, an expert on the Royal family. I don't know much about them. Uh, I don't really care that much. Um, other than, you know, uh, she's the queen. She's kind of the spiritual grandmother of, of Britain. I guess that's what she's being sort of referred to as. And, and I, and I think there's some, there's some sense to that there, there's some reality to that statement that and it's it's kind of strange how many people have been affected by it um 
you know, nations and cultures are strange things, right? Culture, you know, British culture is is complex and strange, and the Queen is part of being British and part of you know the British identity. And now she's gone, and it's a new era, so it, it's a big change. And I think that it's important to at least recognize that. So anyway, there's my take on it. And um, yeah, I I uh, I would I would hope that people would be um, a bit more. I don't know, re- not respectful, but understanding of of how big this this is in Britain, um, and, and why this is so important, and, and to not sort of there's a lot of mockery, there's a lot of craziness going around. I'm, I'm so I, I feel like I, <laughs> kind of yeah. leave us alone, leave us alone, just for give us a week <laughs> or something to get out, to to try and come to terms with this, you know? Yeah, I, I think a lot of that's going to melt away though when we see not only what's going to be maybe the ju- most gigantic state funeral in the history of uh, at least modern times. I mean, no one's seen a uh, British monarch get buried. Uh, that's going to be a, a a big deal. And then the coronation of King Charles is going to be yeah. another huge deal on top of that. And yeah. so we're going to see that. And I think that the pomp and circumstance of that mm. is going to uh, win over some people. I, I think yeah. especially in these days when things like that don't often we don't often see that happen uh irrespective of you know it being 70 years since there was a coronation um on top of that uh it's it's something that with the animosity that we experience here it'll be interesting to see you know a a single a single nation come together under that uh level of mourning and then you know a new era beginning after that so uh i I think uh that'll change some minds i think so i think so yeah no well put bob i i I think that's 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 exactly right um so on to someone who is um i would say in every way the total opposite of the queen would uh or or, uh the orange god himself donald trump (laughs) so this has been an interesting week Right. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's it been an interesting has. week over here in the United States. One could with... say it's been explosive. But uh yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so this is pretty serious, right? The um so Bob, you wrote a piece this week on mm-hmm. um it was an excellent piece. I highly recommend everybody read this. Uh oh, you started you. it talking about your your dr- a dream that you had. Yeah, it's very seldom that uh, I'll read a news story. I Certainly, this happened after 9-11. I had post-9-11 dreams. It's not like I was at ground zero or anything like that, but I think we all mm. went through that uh, mourning, grieving process. We were all in shock and manifested itself in, in some really crazy 9-11 dreams uh, at the time. Mm. And uh, But that seldom affects me. Uh, you know, I don't often have nightmares, just in general. And then mm. I had one the other night, a couple of hours after reading that news <laughs> about the nuclear uh, weapons file that was uh, at Mar-a-Lago that the FBI seized on August 8th. And uh, I had a dream that night w- with a nuclear explosion and I'm running from the nuclear explosion. It was, uh, it, was, it was one of those things that stuck with me after I woke up the next day. You know, often y- you can remember a dream for a couple of minutes after you wake up, but then it fades away quite rapidly after that. Boy, that one stuck with me all day. I was completely off balance the entire next day. And, uh, and, and the reason being is 
this is, I think, even more serious than what we're reading and hearing about in the press. Because what we're talking about is the very distinct possibility that this foreign nation whose nuclear secrets were you know, maybe sitting in Donald Trump's desk drawer at Mar-a-Lago while he was off in Bedminster, not even there. Uh, if those, if that foreign country happens to have been Israel, holy shit, what happened to those yeah, documents? Seriously. Who's got those doc? Who's got that document now? How many people have seen that document? And how does that jeopardize stability in the Middle East? What What if it is Israel? And the whole point of Donald Trump keeping that is either like a dead man's switch. I think I wrote about that for the banter a couple of weeks ago, where it's possible that Donald Trump has files ready to get leaked out if he should be prosecuted. So there's that possibility that he's going to blackmail the United States government, because if it's Israel, you know, it's an open secret that Israel has nuclear weapons. Uh, we all know that they're there. We just don't. Mm. It's not common knowledge in terms of where they are, or how many they have. And so if that information were to get out to uh, one of our enemies, because we've provided Israel with all of that technology to an extent, or if it were to you know, fall into the hands of one of Israel's many enemies in that territory, that could touch off a whole new... Uh, line of blowback that could end up resulting in a nuclear conflict in the Middle East. It's a terrifying prospect. Um, and, and I can imagine Donald Trump going to whatever, uh, Islamic Nation X, and saying, hey, look, look what I have here. What can you do in exchange for this? What can you do for me? What's the quid pro quo? We've talked about this in the past. That's, what, mm. that's the way Donald Trump approaches everything. What's in it for him? Leverage over his friends and enemies alike. That's what he accumulates, and that's why he's got these documents. I'm convinced of that. And so I may be going down quite a rabbit hole, you know, assuming that it's Israel. It could be any nation. It could be an enemy nation, for that matter. But the mm. question is, why does he have this document? And who has copies? Who has he showed this to that could put us all in significant jeopardy? Whenever you're dealing with nuclear weapons, it's always uh, a delicate situation that calls for uh, an approach that is much more careful than Donald Trump has ever taken with this sort of thing. Now, so, that yeah, would be a really interesting conundrum for Republicans because their undying fealty to Israel would have to compete with their undying loyalty to Donald Trump. Yeah. What well, remember too. Yeah, Christofascism to an extent, uh, Christian evangelicalism is uh, really geared around to an extent, and this is not every single evangelical, but a lot of them see the Middle East as being the uh, the launching platform for the return of Christ. Yeah, right. and, they, they and so if Armageddon begins in the Middle East. That's great for them because then they get to ascend into heaven with Jesus. And mm. so that's why I think you see a lot of evangelicals and radical uh, conservatives pushing for things that will touch off something like that. And but they you can need kind of Israel trace that to be through many, victorious. many conflicts. Yeah. They need Israel to be victorious. Like if mm. Israel were to get wiped off the map, that wouldn't work for them. 
That's not how the prophecy goes. So if Trump is selling their secrets, that's bad for Israel, which means that goes against what they want. So that would present the problem for them. Yeah. Like like a real problem. So what do they do at that point? So, you know, well, remember I, too, I'm really that- curious to see if that's the case. There's also, and I forget if I included this in my piece the other day, and if I didn't, I wish I had, which is you, we all remember that meeting in the Oval Office early on in the Trump administration where Sergey Kislyak and, and Sergey Lavrov showed up at the Oval Office and Donald Trump ended up spilling the beans about Israeli spies you know, yep. to, to a nation that was actively engaged in Syria at the time. So it's... <laughs> It's one of those things where Donald Trump is perfectly willing to gift information to a nation like Russia if it means Mm. augmenting his status with them, augmenting his reputation, making them like him more. Donald Trump's all about wanting people to like him, even though he's inherently unlikable. So this could be a situation where he's got this document and he's showing it off to people just to get them to like him. I mean, remember, it's not just about money for him. It's about power. It's about status. And so mm. that is another reason why. I mean, Lawrence O'Donnell last night went off about this and it was such a great observation, which is that uh, Do- Donald Trump hasn't even been in the Mar-a-Lago building for the last two summers. He was there last right. winter, of course, because that's his winter home, a country club in Palm Beach, uh, because he's a man of the people. And he spent all of the summer of 2021 in Bedminster, all of this summer in Bedminster. And up until August 8th of this year, that nuclear weapons document from this foreign country has been just laying around Mar-a-Lago, completely unsecured. Good Lord. Um, which, God, it's, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's criminal. Really- it's irresponsible. Every negative word that you come up with to describe it actually applies in this case yeah i i mean it sort of took my breath away really i mean i'm i was what's the word shocked but not surprised but still shocked i mean imagine being imagine being the incoming prime minister of england are these british secrets that they have Uh, imagine being the prime minister of israel imagine being a member of the knesset Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> I mean, imagine being any ally of the United States after the previous four years of instability and madness, especially when it came to the international stage. And then this on top of that, it's like, what the fuck is going on with the United States? Yeah. And who I mean, wants this, to this do business with these Republic. guys? Yeah. Our, our secrets could end up getting uh, stashed at the ex-president's goddamn country club. It's, it's just insane. I, if I were a, a foreign head of state, I mean, my God, I can't even imagine Anthony Blinken's phone this week bringing <laughs> off the hook. Yeah. Like, what what the hell is going on with you guys? Can we trust you with our secrets now? It's, ins- yeah, it's, and- it's madness. This is, like, this is like 2013 with Snowden, but far more severe than that ever was. Right. And, and, and I think that, this this is sort of takes the the whole episode into new territory. This takes the these alleged crimes into ap- completely new territory. Uh, 
and I wasn't I didn't think it was this bad I thought it was mm-hmm. bad I was like okay he's taken documents that he shouldn't have done but I can't imagine that they're going to be you know too serious but they're about as serious as you can get it's probably it's it's you couldn't do anything worse than this he's done in terms of taking classified documents to his own to his country club he's basically if this turns out to be you know i think it's been verified as well right this is this is we know this now this isn't kind of a uh, conjecture we or guesswork no yes. i think i think it's def- definitive yeah. at this point yeah. it's we just don't know right who. what what does that mean what what where does this go this is what i'm i'm sort of interested in right because well this is this is one of the reasons why the doj's filing from yesterday uh was so crucial because what they're mm. trying to do here is say to judge cannon who handed down this ridiculous clownish ruling about a special master yeah flat out insane exactly fucking crazy that is literally what i'm writing about for next week but it's fucking insane it is Mm. it is absolutely insane and so the doj is basically saying back to judge cannon at this point with an appeal ready to roll there were two documents yesterday one was this reply to judge cannon the other one was an appeal uh Mm. to the uh, 11th circuit and mm. so the first document was basically like, okay, we've got these hundred classified documents. There's no reason why a special master should have to look at these documents. Secondly, no special master has the clearance to look at them in the first place. Right. Unless the special master happens to be a current, current administration official who is given clearance by a cabinet level uh, department head or the president himself. So how do you have a special master look at information that only a, a very small number of people can actually look at? So the DOJ is trying to get those hundred documents released from the umbrella of this uh, this ridiculous moratorium on going through all of the documents, and then say, okay, well you can deal with the special master and Donald Trump's personal effects after the fact we just need to secure these 100 documents and proceed with this investigation and which by the way we have no idea what was in those what was in that empty folder there are 43 top secret documents inside an empty folder and those documents are gone and there was a a whole section of that filing yesterday from doj going we're deeply concerned about what's going on with these missing documents. Are they lost or are they compromised? And my reaction when I saw lost or compromised is, I don't know which is a, a worse scenario, lost or compromised. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's they're equally as bad as far as I'm concerned. If they're lost, where are they? If they're compromised, where are they? Who's got them? You know, who's seen them? You know, it's just... It's next level madness. So hopefully the judge and I, and we've had signals along these lines that Judge Cannon is maybe starting to wave a white flag that maybe she will relent and say, okay, these hundred top secret national security documents, those no longer fall under the umbrella of my special master ruling. Yeah. The fact hopefully that she's that'll be the case. To exert yeah. executive privilege for an ex-president was just back shit insane to begin with yeah like, exactly are, are, you, are you kidding me he's not president he doesn't get executive privilege anymore no. stop it <laughs> yeah, sorry so, so does, does, does does this does this mean um what does it look like what are the criminal charges against trump look like then if you know well what do they look like i say i mean if, if, we know if he sold these that's just straight up espionage yeah it's, mm. it's it's there are three things uh that uh 
uh, Judge Reinhardt found probable cause of. One was a violation of the Espionage Act. Two was retaining national defense information. And three was obstruction of justice, where I think the parameters of obstruction were that Donald Trump was moving the documents around and lying to the FBI through his representatives that the documents had all been handed over when they hadn't been. So if there is surveillance footage of whoever, could be Trump, could be someone else, moving documents from one place to another place to conceal them, that would be defined as obstruction of justice. Uh, And we don't know the extent of that obstruction. He could have taken them off the premises. I mean, we don't know, you know, what the movement of the, we, we do know that documents were moved around in the boxes and we know that documents were removed from those boxes. We know that documents were not concealed in that storage area, which was always the issue. And which is why the FBI said, can you at least put a goddamn padlock on that door? And then uh, Donald, we find out later that Donald Trump has moved some documents to his office closet and his office desk drawer. So and then, you know, Bill Barr had a good point this past week where he was talking about Donald Trump's personal effects mixed in with the other items that were seized. And it's important because the FBI doesn't sit there at Mar-a-Lago or wherever they are and sift through what they're about to seize to remove personal effects. They take what they think is the evidence they're looking for and and then sort it out after the fact. Plus, the personal effects, like Donald Trump's passport, for example. Donald Trump's passport being next to a top-secret classified document in his drawer indicates that Donald Trump was handling that document. That The reason that document is there is because Donald Trump was messing with it. And so it's important to have that connection between Donald Trump's personal effects. It's sort of like the context for where the document was. It wasn't the coffee boy this time. He called it evidentiary is is how he described it, Bill Barr. I can't believe I'm quoting Bill Barr favorably. (laughs) The many weird aspects of all of this. It is. I mean, he's trying to sort of rewrite history, right? Bill Barr is basically trying to exonerate himself at the moment from having anything to do yeah. with this, right? So, of course. But, yeah, I think the stakes have just got a lot higher now, right? They, for what this means for Trump is, I mean, this, this is very, very serious now. Very, very serious. And It's amazing, too, because this has just kind of snuck up on us. Mm. I don't think anyone was expecting this to be as big a deal as it is. No. Uh, I think some of us were. I think some of us knew what was happening with the document theft situation, certainly going back to January. But we, I don't think anyone considered this as being the uh, such a, uh, a legal liability for Donald Trump. And here we are. In fact, Donald Trump has committed all new crimes in the process of trying to cover this one up. I know. Amazing. So the, just, yeah, the, the story just grows things. and grows and grows. And what, you know what, what you I, always I just, say, Bob? Trump always makes things worse for Trump? Precisely. Yeah. And okay, so jail, I, time, jail time? Yes or no? I, I don't I, think I, so. Really? I don't yeah, see how I, I think I think it. it's I think it's possible he'll get convicted, but they won't send him send him to a federal prison. They'll sentence him to some form of house arrest. I just hope it's and I'm not saying that favorably. I, I want him to go to federal prison mainly because I want to set up a, a lawn chair and a, a cooler with some beverages and some snacks and sit outside the fence and laugh my ass off. Well, just laugh and point <laughs> at Donald Trump while he's out on you know 
gets to go and have outside time for half an hour. I, I want to be there. Yeah. But I think realistically, I don't think any judge is going to sentence him to a federal penitentiary penitentiary because um, because of Secret Just, Service issues, security issues. Yes. But but then how long does that, you know, do, how long does it how long does it last? How long does the jail time last or the house? Arrest if he goes last? to prison and, and they pursue all of these charges, plus whatever else happens in the interim, then uh, Donald, it's very possible. Donald Trump could be in some form of incarceration for the rest of his natural life. Oh, that'd be so sad. Yeah. It'd be so sad. Small I mean, the violin. obstruction charges are 20 years. I mean, it's, it's a 20 year maximum sentence for obstruction of justice in this case. Plus, was he aiding and abetting lying to the FBI back in the back in early June when they signed that statement saying there were no more documents? It's possible. Yeah, you know, I would be wow. if I were Donald Trump, Lawrence O'Donnell referred to Donald Trump as enduring a sleep struggle, <laughs> which I love that phrase. Donald Trump trying desperately to fall asleep, knowing that he is in a trash compactor of his own making. He is amazing. <laughs> and his only way out really is to run for president and hope that the investigation doesn't it, it drags on past that. That his, yeah. his only hope is <laughs> But the irony of that is if he runs for president, he loses a lot of cash. He loses Save America Pack, which by the way, Save America Pack is now under investigation by the one six grand jury in Washington, DC. Um yeah, yeah. But if he runs for president, he can no longer access that money. And what that money is primarily is a slush fund. Very little of it has gone to overturning the 2020 election, which was the original sold intention of it. And then he also, well, in fact, the RNC has already announced that they, they're not paying his legal fees on this particular matter with the Mar-a-Lago search and seizure, the espionage scandal. So he's losing that already, and they'll pull out all the rest of their legal aid to Trump uh, if he runs for president. So he's he's kind of screwed. And I doubt, I doubt for that matter, I doubt he's going to run because, yeah, he, he just, he needs the money too much. Uh, and I think the way he's approaching this current uh, period of time is very much like 2012, where he was threatening to run just as a way to promote the Celebrity Apprentice. This time, he's threatening to run as part of his stalling, hopefully getting the DOJ to uh, drop the charges, drop the investigation, for whatever reason, under this ridiculous umbrella of I'm running for president. So this is just a the whole will he, won't he is just uh, for money raising purposes and to hopefully get the uh, DOJ to back off. And, yeah, and I think that doesn't that, seem to be working. No. Yeah, and the, and the, the GOP is, I think, now beginning to sort of understand that this guy is it, this is a death knell. Like the, they have to kind of distance themselves from. Yeah. Trump. In fact, Lindsey Graham was talking in terms of Donald Trump going to prison yesterday. He was saying, I don't think I think Donald Trump's too old to go to prison. He was saying now if we're starting to argue, if you're a, a Republican leader like Lindsey Graham mm -hmm. and you're starting your your argument in this context is, oh, well, Donald Trump shouldn't go to prison. That means you believe there's a chance Donald Trump's going to prison. <laughs> That's not any in any way, shape or form a defense of what Donald Trump has done. 
And so if you listen carefully to Fox News and what some Republicans on the Hill are saying, it's not a defense of the document theft. It's not a defense of obstruction or espionage. It's all like it's it's all on the periphery of what might actually happen to them. I think the writing is on the wall. What a damn yeah. shame. Really sort of stunning. It's really stunning. Uh, yeah. A stunning sort of turnaround. Of, and exciting. Of <laughs> exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this greatly. I'm really loving what's happening. I'm going to get stock and popcorn. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's fun. Honestly, it's terrifying and fun at the same time. There's a terrifying aspect of it where we don't know the uncertainty in terms of how much damage he has done. And the ODNI is working on that right now. But uh, we don't know the long-term damage to American national security. I think it's safe to assume it is potentially catastrophic. Mm. I, I think we, when we uh, underestimate the damage from Donald Trump, we do that at our own jeopardy. You know, I, I think you can never underestimate the damage from Donald Trump. But we do know one thing for sure. It will all be blamed on Democrats. That's right. Yes. That's right. It was right. A- AOC and Hillary planted this these documents at Mar-a-Lago. There you go. <laughs> Incredible. It was all a conspiracy by Democrats. But, yep. So speaking of conspiracies, um, Steve Bannon this week. <laughs> this is just great. By uh, CNN, Steve Bannon pleads not guilty to New York State charges of money laundering, conspiracy, and fraud related to the border, his uh, border wall effort. So, former Donald Trump aide Steve Bannon pleaded not guilty Thursday in a New York court to state charges of money laundering, conspiracy, and fraud related to an alleged online scheme to raise money for the construction of a wall along the southern U.S. border, according to his attorney. The state charges were ba- are based on the same conduct Bannon was charged with by federal prosecutors in 2020 that alleged he and three others had defrauded donors in the border wall effort, which raised more than $15 million. Jesus. It was later pardoned by Trump. And presidential pardons do not apply to state investigations, however. Handcuffed and flanked by officers as they walked past reporters in court, into court, Bannon said, quote, This is what happens in the last days of a dying regime. They will never shut me up. They'll have to kill me first. I have not yet begun to fight. No, please. What a drama queen. I swear to God, I want to have that tattooed on my arm. Presidential pardons do not apply to state charges. Ah, it just makes me so happy. (laughs) But he's going to jail. He's going to jail. Yes, I would. This one, I'm fairly confident that he is, that Steve Bannon is going to jail. Like... I think the char- it's fairly clear cut. The charges. Uh, I don't feel sorry for all these people who donated money to this scam, as well. It's like you deserve to lose all of your money. You deserve yeah, to. You I got think scammed. They, <laughs> yeah, they should basically recoup the money, get it, get it back from Bannon and and, and whoever he was uh, um, collaborating with, and uh, donate it to um, the victims of Donald Trump's. You, you remember the whole children in cages thing so that should all go to the families of uh of people affected by donald trump's border wall policies yeah because- and now bannon does not get that bannon's not going to get the same presumption of uh you know it's like oh well you know he's president he's not going to get any of that crap so they're not going to give him any of that special treatment he's just no. going to be another grody looking <laughs> nasty smelling piece of garbage in court and the judge is going to be like yeah, yeah you're, you're nobody going to jail, bro yeah you're going off to, to jail, jail with you shoot yeah 
he's he's no he's nothing more than a January sixth writer. That's it. That's all he Pretty is. Much. He's yeah. gonna yeah. be another Alex Jones. Yeah. He's gonna go out there and yell every day on the court steps, and he's gonna go into the courtroom. And judge is gonna be like, "Yeah, I don't care who you don't are care. out there. You're it's in not in friendly courtroom. territory either. It's in New York. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's very possible it's going to be Rikers Island for Steve <gasps> Bannon. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, we fingers crossed it's Gen Pop. <laughs> you know, that uh, would be delightful. Yeah. Well, that that's where they sent Alan Weisselberg. I oh mean, they God. sent this blue collar guy to Rikers Island. And I don't know much about Rikers Island in terms of how they've divided up how the prisoners are kept and whether there's like a country club wing of Rikers Island. But... I don't even think the country club part of Rikers Island is someplace you want to be. Yeah, I know, I know. Rikers Island. <laughs> right. <laughs> it just sounds bad. And so uh, that's where Steve Bannon is headed. And, and the, the uh, optics the optics of him being led away in handcuffs, though, was just delightful, I have to say. I mean, he's going to have to buddy up with, like, the Aryans or something in, in the prison. <laughs> he's going to have to get protection from the uh the nazis well i'm otherwise, sure they'll be more than happy to have them he's doomed in prison i mean a, an avowed white nationalist racist <laughs> yeah good yeah guy. hey do you know who hasn't been led away in handcuffs yet hillary clinton yeah that's right still but hasn't her, happened but her emails but her emails but her emails yeah, right. but her emails <laughs> so um moving on to midterms this the, the Justin your piece this week was a look at what, how the midterms are, are sort of panning out right now, and your take, I think very well, very well sourced and very well argued, is that uh, it's not looking great for Republicans right now. It's really not looking good. It really, really isn't. <laughs> and, so... and, and you're not you're not <laughs> saying this from a sort of uh, it, this is a sort a very subjective look. I thought your piece was very subjective. You weren't saying, like, I hope this is what's going to happen. You were saying that this is what's happening. and it, it Yeah, this could... is not like a Pollyanna, oh, boy, I wish this was happening. It's like, no, they're just – they're doing really fucking bad. Uh, yesterday, actually, I came up um, – I, I came across this. I was reading an article. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read this. Um, the Cook Political Report spotted a trend in late August predicting, quote, a GOP net gain of 20, 10 to 20 seats down considerably from the spring – when the GOP looked poised to gain 20 to 35 seats. Another model at The Economist sets the expected loss for Democrats at a mere 11 seats, a stunning shift from uh, procrastinations. Wow, I totally mispronounced that. That's sad. We're facing (laughs) dozens of lost seats. And another one said it's like 10 seats is like um, kind of hopeful at this point for Republicans. They need to have at least five seats. They have to win five seats in order to take back the House. And now they're looking at like the the lower end of their of their hopeful is ten seats, which is absolutely dreadful from where they were just at like at the beginning of July or in the middle of July. The people were still talking about this massive red wave that's going to wipe out the Democrats, and now it's like they'll be lucky if they take back just ten seats at this point. So they're doing wow. absolutely awful. In a year that Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the White House, and they should be getting creamed just because it's a midterm where they're in power, they should be getting creamed. And never mind anything else, Democrats should be getting creamed for that alone. 
So that should tell you something about how bad Republicans are screwing this up. It's delightful. Yeah. It makes it, me very it, happy. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And and Bob, you were you were quite hopeful about the midterms months ago. Yeah. So yeah, you've constantly been t- basically keeping me calm and telling me not to panic. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it starts at a place where we're in a new paradigm. I, I don't think you can apply what happened in 2006 or even 2018 for that matter. We're in an age now where the, uh, the fear on the left, the motivating fear on the left is actually uh, omnipresent. <laughs> I hate to put it that way. Because it's not a good posture to be in, to constantly be afraid of what's going to happen. But it's true. I mean, it's absolutely a realistic thing to fear the notion of a Republican takeover of the federal government at this point. I mean, already, just if the Republicans were to win a majority in the House, then uh, it's going to be impeachment palooza nonstop. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a, a waking nightmare. In terms yeah, of what they're going to try and, and defund the investigations into Trump. Exactly. Exactly. That's, and they won't like, succeed. One of the first in, things they do. Exactly. They won't succeed in any of it if the Democrats retain the Senate. Uh, obviously, anything that gets passed through the House has to go through the Senate and then it has to get past uh, Joe Biden. I'm more concerned about the long run ramifications of a, a Republican majority in Congress because or Republican majorities. Uh, I'm thinking more in terms of what happens in 2024. And that's the biggest concern. I think we all need to be going into this midterm. We all need to be aware that whether it's the House or the Senate or the House and the Senate falling into Republican hands, the 2024 election is where that is really going to explode and become a serious, serious problem. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of investigations in the meantime. None of them are going to go anywhere. They're going to be unserious. They're just going to be like the ben- Benghazi investigations, which is a lot of repeating of bullshit and specious uh, political talking points and nothing more. Uh, but in 2024, we don't want a contested election falling into the hands of, God, possible Speaker of the House Jim Jordan. Ugh, Can you imagine yeah, that? I mean, it'll most likely Terrible. be Kevin McCarthy, but even still, Kevin McCarthy puppeteered by the Rodeo Clown Caucus, and that's going to yeah, be a nice. serious issue for the next presidential election. Uh, and so we need to bear that in mind. We need to add that to our list, and I would say at the very top of that list to motivate us to get the vote out. And we're talking about early voting and mail-in voting starting uh, in a few weeks. As, as many as 45 days out from the election, voting is going to begin. That's why this whole series of successes from the Democrats have been so important to occur when they did, because it's right in advance, right in the path of uh, voting starting. So that's excellent, excellent timing. Yeah, yep. very good time. But don't, as Bob, as you're always saying, don't get happy. Don't get happy. <laughs> Right. Yes. That's the key. But I'm not I'm not as concerned about complacency as I have been in the past. I think we're all aware of what the stakes are. It's just you know what? It comes down to the last two or three percentage points. Those people who aren't entirely paying attention to the political debate, uh, who are only casually 
checking out what's happening in the news. They have a very rudimentary idea in terms of what's what's good and what's bad in terms of events and uh, you know legislation. And it's those people that I get nervous about. That's who, and and very few of those people are active on Twitter on a regular basis, or maybe even listening to this podcast. So I haven't been as you know, don't get happy ish this time around as I have been in the past. Maybe I should be. In fact, I that as a good sign. I'm hearing myself, and I'm going, Jesus, that's a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? But and we Thank also have to remember. And we also have to remember that the 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 the, the Dobbs decision is still really really screwing up oh, yeah. um yeah. women all over the country like that's a that's a nightmare all over the country still and people are really really pissed off about that voting registration is up in states all over them a lot of swing states and it's really tilting heavily towards democrats tilting heavily women and it's tilting heavily towards democrats because they're extremely pissed off at republicans because they know who did this Right. This is one of those. This is one of those things that Republicans can't blame on both sides. They can't blame it on Democrats. They can't blame it on Antifa. They took ownership of this, even though they're trying to like distance themselves now. They can't, and they and they keep pushing those laws, right? Because that's how they they feed their base. They feed their base rage and hate, especially against women. So they keep doing it. And all they're doing is just they're essentially radicalizing female voters against them. And they're going to pay for it deeply, mm. seriously pay for it in November. And I don't know, like some of them don't seem to really quite comprehend what's coming. And they just keep pushing that button, like keep hurting women, keep hurting women, keep hurting women. And uh, they're going to see what happens in two months. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to go well for them. It's not okay. Well, I'm I'm taking that to the bank, Justin. I'm I'm I, I uh, your 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 piece was extremely um comforting to me, uh, and I think uh, you know it's been a good week. We don't, we don't really say this very often on the, on the on the podcast, right? But it's actually been a pretty good week yeah. for the Democrats. Really good week for the Democrats. Um, that's two but, weeks in a row. That's yeah, that's scary. Exactly. <laughs> so um, moving on to our both side segment where we're going to uh, take a look at Republican insanity just to sort of, just to end the, we like to end the podcast on a sour note. We always we like, to, <laughs> we like to end the podcast on, on the worst possible examples of Republican insanity. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go first. So this week I've got uh, Tucker Carlson. Ugh. Tucker Carlson has, um, so he did a whole thing basically defending the queen um, against a, a lot of the, the critics on the left. While I sort of, I'm not going to say that I agree with Carlson, but as always, Carlson took it too far, right? And ended up basically turning into kind of racism, right? He says, um, he said, uh, this is what Tucker Carlson said. He said, the empire uh, evaporated. He said, hey, here we go. He said, it's not easy to maintain your dignity while living in the public eye. Most of us could not pull it off for an afternoon, he said. Queen Elizabeth did it for more than 70 years. So I agree with all this, right? Then Carson noted that the British conquered much of the world and won two world wars. He said the country is now a shell of its former self. Quote, the empire evaporated and along with it Britain's self-confidence and ultimately its self-respect, he said. It's hard to believe now, but Britain was not always a regional banking centre stroke refugee camp. It was a real place with a history and a language and a culture and a genuinely remarkable people. 
He wow. said the British Empire ruled with decency in spite of its faults. He said Queen Elizabeth II was the last living link to any true, truly great Britain. Uh, and then he said the British gave the world Magna Carta, habeas corpus and free speech. They helped end the Atlantic slave trade as well as the ritual murder of widows in India. The British Empire spread Protestant Christianity to the entire world. Um, so, yes, he likes to take a good thing and turn it into racist propaganda. Just couldn't stop himself. Just couldn't stop himself. Just couldn't stop itself. So, yes, the British did help end the transatlantic slave trade, but they also started it. Um, So you want to forget about that. Just skip that part. Yeah. The British role in India, right? This was... uh, Listen, the the empire was complicated. and India was was no... You know, they weren't just... It wasn't a peaceful place that the British went to. But it, but they did a lot of damage in India, a huge amount of damage, and you know to just gloss over that and say that they went there and ended uh, the, mur- the ritual murder of wi- widows in India is to gloss over, you know, a hundred years of, of of atrocities in in India, um, spreading Protestant Christianity to the entire world. Was that a great thing? Um, yeah, at totally the sure. end of a gun. <laughs> yeah, at the end of a gun. Um, and also at the expense of a lot of indigenous uh, indigenous peoples and their belief systems, you know. Uh, so Tucker Carlson likes to turn a good thing into a racist screed. So well done there, Tucker. Uh, you, you've really outdone yourself there. And again, <laughs> you don't see this kind of this kind of essentially kind of white supremacist drivel on the left. So there we go. That's my um, <laughs> that's my both sides this week. Bob, who's your pick? Uh, I'm going to go with Donald Trump. <laughs> we just oh boy uh, yeah I, I i'm not quite sure how to actually attribute this but we learned uh, this week uh you guys remember the name jeffrey berman he took over sdny as u.s attorney uh, after preet barara was fired it, it was oh, kind, of yeah. a, kind of a big deal because it was right in the midst of a possible investigation into donald trump and sdny uh jeffrey berman has a new book out And it contains, according to the New York Times, accounts of how department officials, Justice Department officials, tried to have allusions to Mr. Trump scrubbed from charging papers for uh, Michael Cohen and how the attorney general, and it doesn't say here whether it's Jeff Sessions or Bill Barr, later tried to have his conviction reversed. It tells of pressure to pursue John Kerry who had angered Donald Trump by attempting to preserve the nuclear deal he had negotiated with Iran on September in, Oh, in September, 2018, Mr. Berman writes two months before the November midterms, a senior department official called Mr. Berman's deputy cited the SDNY's recent prosecutions of two prominent Trump loyalists and bluntly asserted that the office, which had been investigating Gregory B. Craig, a powerful democratic attorney should charge him and should do so before Election Day. Mr. Berman's book said that during Mr. Trump's presidency, department officials made overtly political demands, choosing targets that would directly further Mr. Trump's desires for revenge and advantage. Mr. Berman wrote that the pressure was clearly inspired by the president's openly professed wants. Quote, throughout my tenure as U.S. attorney, Mr. Berman, 62, writes, Trump's Justice Department kept demanding that I use my office to aid them politically, And I kept declining in ways just tactful enough to keep me from being fired. I walked this tightrope for two and a half years, writes Mr. Berman, who is now in private practice. Eventually, the rope snapped, he says. 
So we're talking about what? How many different examples now of Donald Trump trying to interfere in the election? In this case, he was weaponizing SDNY to go after his political enemies in advance, specifically of the 2020 election, to help him win. This was sort of like a, a relative, sort of a cousin of what he was trying to do with Ukraine, trying to get some sort of uh, patina of investigation launched against a prominent Democrat. In in the case of Ukraine, we were talking about Hunter Biden and Burisma, that energy company that he sat on the board of. Uh, and in this case, we're talking about uh, Greg Craig, uh, this uh, Democratic attorney, and so many others, John Kerry as well. So, <laughs> good God, add this to the just the slag heap of Donald Trump awfulness. You know, I'm wow. old enough to remember when Bill Clinton met with Loretta Lynch on a tarmac and the right lost its fucking mind for weeks. Yeah. It's weird how this is okay now, though. This sort yeah, of thing is fine. Yeah, this is all persecuted. He's being persecuted, Justin. He's being yeah, persecuted. Yeah. You know, definite persecution. Different. You know, it's a, it's, it's the deep state. Is 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 a, It's a witch hunt. Yeah, it's a witch hunt. Yeah, <laughs> poor Donald Trump. Wow, amazing. Um, Justin, who's your pick this week? Okay, uh, this is friend of the podcast, Nick Fuentes, the uh, leader of the America First movement. This is the guy. If you recall, he had um his little he, one of his little rallies, and Paul Gosar and um who was it Mar Marjorie. Taylor Green showed up and they had they were guests they were honored guests at his uh white nationalist rally. So he's he's got a he's got a show and on his show he was ranting and raving because he was very very upset about Joe Biden's speech last week. And um this is this is this is a bit of a long quote but um it's it's very telling. All right. So, hem. Uh the whole thing is just a lie. The whole thing is a sham. Biden is a puppet. The elections are fake. The social media companies are rigged. The elections are rigged. The news couldn't be more Jewed up. Jewed up, moneyed up, corporate, under the thumb of the Illuminati, whatever. It's all real, man. The devil's in charge of the world. Satan is in charge of America. If you don't realize that, you're not paying attention. And that's not even exaggeration. Satan runs America. I'm a patriot, but the United States of America is controlled by Satan right now. The United States is the great Satan of the world. The United States is controlled by Satan. I swear, he, was, he must have been foaming at the mouth at this point. The regime that runs America is controlled by Satan, and the regime that controls America is the empire that casts a shadow over the world. Satan runs the Western world. When you talk about the West, when you talk about democracy, you're talking about the devil. And then he goes on and on and on for a while. But the thing that really stuck out for me was when you talk about democracy, you're talking about the devil. And that just says everything you need to know. And there is nothing no matter how pissed off the left gets at the system and the, the corrupt bureaucracy it doesn't matter how pissed off they get they never talk about ending democracy or comparing democracy to the devil nothing like that on the left that is wow. solely from the fascist right yep it's a, it, right and they are fascist and joe biden was 100 percent right yeah except they called it semi-fascism that was wrong. It's not. I think he was, it's, yeah, just, it's, it's just full on fascism. It's just, it's just plain fascism. Agreed. He was being nice. He, yes, he was. He was. Um, he was uh, trying to bridge the divide. I think by calling them semi-fascists, that was uh, an overture to the right. I think. Yeah, he's uh, working his way towards it. Yes. Yeah. 
exactly well anyway people that is our podcast for today um thank you so much for listening uh we're going to jump into the members only section right now where we're going to be discussing possible futures for the gop and i have a th- i have thoughts on this uh, an article i published um this week as well where i lay some of those out i'm going to go into a bit of detail about that uh and we can discuss um you know, where does the party go? What does it look like? Uh, is it going to, are we going to have MAGA light? Are we going to have MAGA extreme? Are we going to have return to some sort of traditional conservatism? Who knows? We will see you there. You can get free trials. Um, just click on the link. You get a free trial and you can listen to it completely for free and decide whether you want to come and join us as a Bantam member. We're very grateful for your support and uh, uh, everybody else. We will see you next week. Later. Later. <laughs>